Many years ago when I was in youth group, one of our youth group leaders had a little saying, and she used to say, that really gripes my soul. <laughs> that really gripes my soul. It was kind of a, a saying after many, many years. It still sticks with me. Not that I ever use it out loud. I think it in my head a lot, though, for, for many, many years. And, and uh, we always thought it was kind of an interesting thing, thing to say. And, and we probably don't use the word gripe very often anymore. I mean, maybe you do with your kids who are always griping about something, right, maybe. Uh, but we usually think of a gripe as something people are complaining about incessantly. That's really not a big deal. Kind of cool that off. But, but I found that the word also means uh, to annoy or irritate or even to afflict and cause distress. And so it was a phrase that she used to say that, that, that something was causing her distress to the very core of her being. It really gripes her soul. And usually it wasn't anything like, you know, long lines at the grocery store or something as, as insignificant as that. It was things that, were, that, that, that really stood out in that area. And, and I stop and think about the fact that we can learn a lot about a person or about ourselves, by understanding what really gripes your soul. <laughs> what really gripes your soul. So Bob, my name is Jim Korth. I'm one of the uh, elders here at uh, uh, Provision Church, and uh, it's my privilege to be able to open up God's Word with you once again today. Uh, uh, Pastor Mark is one of the, the four folks that we had that just got back from uh, a trip to Southeast Asia. They got in uh, late yesterday, so uh, they're recovering from that still, and actually Mark's off at a, at a baptism for his niece, so he's got a a lot of recovery to do in the coming week that lies ahead, but uh, but uh, we're grateful for their opportunity and look forward to hearing more about the trip and, and the uh, the results from from that time away. But we're going to continue now today in the book of Jonah. In fact, we're going to wrap up the book of Jonah. And when we last left Jonah, we find that he was groping about griping about his circumstances. Right in Jonah chapter four, uh, he was angry. He was angry about the fact that God chose to be good to people, and that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? He was angry at the fact that, that, that his enemies were not going to be destroyed the way that he had hoped. And uh, when we think about that, that tells us a lot about Jonah, but maybe we're a lot like Jonah that way as well sometimes. And as we, uh, as we wrap up the book, we spent the last seven weeks here in the book of Jonah, and it, it really culminates in the closing chapter here with us giving a good understanding of the heart of God, a really good understanding of, of his heart for people, and when we think about where we find ourselves, do we find ourselves more like Jonah, where we have a lot of misplaced priorities, where we are, are you know, complaining about a lot of things that, that shouldn't really matter, or are we closer to the heart of God, you know, having a compassionate care for the needs of those around us? So our challenge today will be, are we more like God, more like Jonah, and how do we make that transition in our lives today? So uh, before we go any further, let's take a moment again to pray and uh, ask God to to really speak to our hearts and speak through his word. Our Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the, the gift of your word. We believe and know it is the living, active, and powerful word of God, that it, uh, it, it cuts us to the very core of our being. It's designed to fillet us, to expose us, uh, and show us things inside of us that we, we might like, but that we, we shouldn't like, and things that we certainly should not like about ourselves. And and Lord, we pray that as we spend time uh, within your word here today, uh, that your Holy Spirit would move amongst your people, uh, that we would be drawn closer to you, that we'd be making changes in our lives to conform us more into the image and likeness of, of, of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And for those that are listening today that maybe are still on the fence about who Jesus is or about their salvation, uh, about where they see themselves when it comes to your plan 
Lord, we pray that you would just open hearts today that maybe need to hear the truths of your gospel and respond to you in a positive way. And so we ask, Lord, that you would just work in our hearts' lives today, Lord, that we would indeed leave here changed than we were, we were when we came in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we're wrapping up, Jonah, several of you have been with us for all seven weeks. Some of you maybe are just visiting here for the first time and are catching in at the, the tail end of things. But I wanted to start with a, a quick recap of what we've seen in the book and remind you, first of all, that Jonah was a prophet from the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, he, reigned, he, he worked during the, the time of Jeroboam II was king. So we're talking about 786 to 746 B.C., somewhere in that, that time period. And we know at the beginning of the book that God had called him to uh, not just minister in Israel, in that kingdom, but had told him to go to another city, to the city of Nineveh, uh, to preach to them there. Uh, Nineveh was one of the most ancient of cities in, in all the world. Uh, it was founded uh, in Genesis chapter 10, we're told it was founded by Nimrod. So this is shortly after the flood uh, that the city was established. So it goes back quite a long way. And over the course of time, it was the, the, the capital city of Assyria, and the Assyrian people kind of went through ups and downs during their time, times of expansion, times of retraction. And at this moment in time, Assyria is in a, a little bit of a, of a decline. It's, it's trying to expand, but uh, it's, it's, it's now under the, the leadership of uh, King Asherdan III, and uh, they're, they're having some difficulties along the way. And in the midst of it, we learn that God hears about their evil. The evil has come up before him, and he sends Jonah to them to deal with the situation, to warn them about the destruction that was to come. Of course, we know the story that Jonah was told to do this, and he went the other way, right? He didn't want to go to Nineveh. Uh, he's heads off the other way. Uh, we know how God got his attention, you know, the, the, used that, that fish that he appointed to, to bring Jonah back, and now Jonah has a second chance, goes back to the city, preaches, and we see this marvelous repentance where they turn to, turn to God and God's able to relent from the disaster he planned to send upon them. That's a great story, and it would be great if the book ended in chapter 3, right? <laughs> you know, man runs from God, God brings man back, man goes and obeys God, a city is saved. Amen. That's a good story, right? Uh, but for some reason, we get chapter 4, and we learn a lot of things that, you know, uh, a lot of the, the, the backstory about things. We first of all saw last week in, in Jonah 4, verses 1 through 4, the real reason Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. And if you were hearing the story for the first time and said, go to Nineveh, it's an evil city, you say, I'm going the other way, you might think, well, why did he run? Maybe because he was afraid of the Ninevites? Who am I? You know, I'm coming from a foreign country. Who am I going to go preach to them? They don't even know me or, or my God, really. Uh, you know, I'm afraid what they're going to do to me. They might persecute me. They might kill me. And that might be the reason he's fleeing. But we find out in chapter 4 that that's not the issue. Jonah's concern was not that the people would listen to him, wouldn't listen to him. <laughs> it was that they would listen to him <laughs> and that they would respond. And just the very things happening that he was afraid was going to happen. And so we have that complaint last week. See, I knew you were a good God. And if they did what they was right, then you were going to forgive them. And we find really he had his heart set on the destruction of the Ninevites. He didn't want their repentance. There were political and religious and racial issues for all that. And the book speaks volumes to some of those areas uh, for us. But we find that uh, we've learned now that, that uh, he's, he's so disappointed in this, he'd rather be dead. <laughs> and this is the second of three times that he says, I wish I was dead. First time was when he said, throw me in the, throw me in the, in the, in the ocean. Uh, throw, not the, throw me in the sea. You know, during that storm at sea in, in chapter 1, he said, he didn't say, like, take me back to Joppa, I'll go to Nineveh. 
He said, no, throw me in the sea. He figured he was going to die. I'd rather die than go to Nineveh. And now that he's gone to Nineveh, he'd say, I'd rather die than see the Ninevites uh, not be punished. And it ended last week with verse 4 where God said, is it right for you to be angry? Um, and it's left kind of as a, an unanswered question at that point. So we're going to pick it up now in, in, in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 5. And so we read in Jonah 4, 5, Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. So it's interesting that despite what we saw happen in chapter 3 with their repentance and, and what he's even said to God in, in, in the beginning of chapter 4, um, he still is wondering what's going to happen to the city. He's probably hoping against hope that somehow there's still going to be destruction. Maybe they weren't sincere in their repentance, you know. Uh, maybe they um, didn't do enough, you know, to, to satisfy God. Uh, maybe they started out that way, but after a few days said, eh, forget it, let's go back to our old ways. So he's kind of holding out maybe there will be some sort of, of destruction that will come upon the city. And when I read this, and I, I, this takes me back to the situation in, uh, a little bit in Genesis 18 and 19. In, in the book of Genesis 18 and 19 is where God comes to Abraham. Uh, he visits Abraham along with two angels, reveals that Abraham's going to have a, a son through Sarah. And uh, that covenant is, is, is about to move forward for that. And it's also there where God tells Abraham, I'm going to let you know what I plan to do. These other angels that have come with me are heading to Sodom and Gomorrah. We've heard outcry against that city. They're going to go investigate. Now, God didn't really need to investigate. He knew what was going on. But they're going to go to that city and, uh, and deal with it. And we have this scene in Genesis 18 where God and, and uh, Abraham go back and forth. And Abraham says, will the judge of the whole earth not do what's right? You know, are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? And, and gets God to agree that if there are ten righteous people in the city, he'll spare it, right? And so that's where it's left. And then we know what happened. You know, we know the angels went forward. We know eventually there's destruction comes to the city. But there's a section at the end of chapter 19 where it says, the next morning, Abraham got up and went out to see what happened to the cities. And he looked off in the distance. He saw the pillar of smoke rising from Sodom and Gomorrah in the distance. And you have to wonder what was Abraham thinking at that moment. You know, He probably was thinking, wow, they, there weren't ten righteous people there. I hope, I hope Lot's okay, which he was. But I'm sure Abraham stopped and said, well, the judge of the whole earth did right. I don't know that, I, I seriously would doubt that he was happy about what he saw. Knowing Abraham, I'm sure his heart was a little broken. By contrast, Jonah is in a similar fashion, sitting, looking through the city, and he's hoping for a, a fire and brimstone show, isn't he? You know? He's hoping to see fire rain down upon that city and see them destroyed. And we begin to see that there's a, a serious problem with having a heart like that that wants to see people fall. We're told in Ezekiel twice that God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. And I would say God takes no delight in the death of the wicked, and neither should we. Neither should we. It's so easy for us to look at the world around us and look at people who are opposing God and who are opposing us and, and, and who think we're strange for the things that we believe and we're heartbroken or angry with what they're doing, what they're pushing on our, our families, what they're pushing on our children, what they're pushing in society. And there's a part of us that gets angry about it and wants to see judgment fall on them. But we need to remember, again, God doesn't take delight in that. He's not looking forward to the chance to punish those people. He is not willing that any should perish. He wants to see repentance come about. And so as a result, we need to have that same kind of heart that God has. He takes no delight in the death of the wicked, 
and neither should we. And we can't help but feel like Jonah's in that place where he's really hoping for that destruction to come. And so we see God begins to address the issue with Jonah and tries to be corrective. And, and we're going to focus what we see on, on, on Jonah's misplaced priorities as they unfold in the next few verses. Um, verse 6 says, um, Then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. So as we see this unfold for us, um, God is, is sending a plant along. It's, it's hot. It's the desert. Uh, he's built a little shelter for himself there, but it's probably really not adequate to provide him the, the comfort that he's looking for. And so we're told here that God appointed this plant that grew, or he, he uh, had uh, um, um, established this, this process. Uh, and the same word for appointed is here. You, there's three, four different things God appoints here in, in Jonah. Uh, in this story, he appoints the plant, he appoints the, the worm or the parasite, and he appoints a wind. He also appointed a great fish. And so throughout all this, as God has appointed this, as God has prepared all this along the way, we see his oversight, his control over all these circumstances that are unfolding in Jonah's life that are there for a reason, that are there for a, a purpose. And now he sends this plant, right? Um, and uh, most will say this is a castor oil plant. That's the kind of term that's used there. But, but I would say it doesn't really matter what kind of plant it was, right? It doesn't matter what kind of fish it was. It doesn't matter what kind of plant it was. It doesn't matter what kind of worm it was. God had appointed this and planned this. It might have been the only one in all of history that was like that because of what God was doing. So we're less concerned about what it was, other than the fact that, that uh, some of the terminology used in here is really interesting. It says, um, um, you know, that this, it, it, it provided a shade to rescue him from his trouble. And the word for trouble here is a word that speaks about uh, evil or some disaster, you know, that things are really, as if things are really, really bad for Jonah. Now, I think there's a little sarcasm here. Are things really that bad for Jonah? I'm hot and uncomfortable. <laughs> Is that really disastrous, you know? Now, those of you who have been in the heat of a, 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 like that, some of you may have served in, uh, you know, in the Middle East and, and been in that 115-degree heat in the shade and, uh, and know, yeah, it's pretty miserable out there. It's, it's pretty bad, but... In retrospect, when it comes to high priorities, is that the worst thing that could be unfolding in life? And when you go on and says that Jonah was greatly pleased with, this, with, the, with the plant, it's also a very intense terminology to talk about how he, was, he rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. This is like the best thing ever happened in his life. <laughs> the only time Jonah's happy in the whole book, right? I got a plant. <laughs> I got a plant giving me shade. And he's so happy about it. And he stopped and think, wow, you're not happy about the people responding to your preaching, <laughs> This is making you much happier than that. And it's really a set of, of misplaced priorities. As I, I, I think about this, I relate to a situation that I must confess probably has unfolded in my life or could unfold in my life and maybe yours as well. Um, you're driving down the highway, you've got to, you're getting somewhere. You're going to work, you have an appointment somewhere, you know, maybe going to a ball game, something like that. And uh, you're making good time, all of a sudden traffic stops, right? Dead stop. And you're like, what's wrong here? Why are we stopped here? Is there construction? Is there an accident? How long is this going to be? How inconvenient is this for me? And after a few minutes, you hear a siren, and you see a you know, police car comes up the, uh, up the way and makes its way to the front there and say, okay, it must be an accident. Great. I hope, hope it's not bad. I hope they get this cleared out pretty fast. And then a few seconds later, another siren goes by, and this time it's a, a fire engine goes by, right? <laughs> and say, okay, well, it might be pretty serious then if there's a fire engine. And then the, the third rescue vehicle guy is, a, is, a, is a, uh, an ambulance. You know, so now, oh, man, 
this is going to be pretty, this might be a pretty bad accident. So you turn on the radio and you hear the news and they say, you know, there's been an accident on the highway. Uh, the highway's shut down. Uh, it's a serious accident with life-threatening injuries. And what do you say? Why does all this stuff happen to me? Right? <laughs> Why am I the one inconvenienced by the fact that I'm stuck in traffic now? Who knows how long it's going to be? You're not concerned about the people injured. <laughs> You're not concerned about their welfare. The concern is with your own self. And that's when I have misplaced priorities. And I must confess, that kind of goes on in my mind. I wish I could say I was the kind of person that every time I heard a siren, I stopped and prayed about the situation. Some of you are like that, you know. And I applaud you for that. You know, you hear a police car go by, pray for the policeman and the situation that they're dealing with. You see an ambulance or fire truck, you know, it's good to pray about that. But if, if it's affecting my destination, if it's affecting my efforts to get to a point, it's all more about me and I don't really care what happened to them. Those are misplaced priorities, right? I really need to have a heart for saying, listen, in the grand scheme of things, me being late for an appointment is not that big a deal. It could be much worse. And that's what ends up happening with our, our, uh, us. We end up focusing so much on, on little things that, that, that are the, the, the sources of joy for us and the, and, and, and the things that we think are the end of the world that really aren't all that important. Um, and God, but, but we see Jonah's rejoicing over this. He's comfortable to a degree. And then verse 7 says that when dawn came the next day, God appointed, prepared, a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. So now the plant dies. And then as the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. Again, for the third time, it's better for me to die than to live here. And this is a reminder for us that the short-lived life of this plant that brought Jonah so much joy uh, is a cautionary tale for us about where our joy is found. If our joy is found in the temporal things, the, the, the things that aren't going to last forever, uh, the problem is that if those things are taken away, so is our joy, so is our happiness, so is our contentment. There's nothing wrong with, with enjoying the things in life that come your way, right? There's nothing wrong with having that, you know, p- you know, pleasures that you enjoy. There's nothing wrong with a, a, a cold glass of water on a hot day and, and saying, ah, oh, that tastes really good or that feels really good. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we start finding joy only in the pleasures of life, then tough times will come when they are lost. And whether that joy comes in a relationship you have, or that joy comes in your job or your career or your successes, or whether that joy comes in your, your, your bank account or your investments, you know, all those things that we have that we find so much joy and so much contentment in can be taken away from us in a moment. And then where will you be? And then where will you be? Uh, last year, uh, my focus for the year was, was reading, uh, trying, trying, looking at a year of living joyfully and finding contentment. And, and I, I read a great uh, old, old book on, on contentment. And uh, basically, the, the, his whole point was, listen, you're going to have good times, you're going to have bad times. Just roll with it. <laughs> uh, it was pretty much you know, that, you know, the, 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 the secret to contentment is saying, hey, you know, what did Job say? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And so when things are going really well for you, you have plenty and everything's kind of clicking, you celebrate that, you're thankful for that, but you also realize, yeah, it's great for the moment, but I know it might not last forever. And then when you're having the difficult times, you stop and say, yeah, these are difficult times right now, but God is still with me, and this isn't going to last forever either, right? I'm going to get through all this. And when we have those kind of priorities to realize that we can live with, with the values of eternity in view, 
then that source of joy is really found in the Lord. And so when we go through those tough times, uh, we don't lose all of our pleasure. We don't lose all of our joy. We find that joy in him. And so Jonah, we see as these, these, these misplaced priorities unfolding for us. And uh, then God asked Jonah, verse 9, much like we see in verse 4, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? <laughs> and this time he responds by saying, yes, that's right. I'm angry enough to die. <laughs> now, that's an interesting phrase. I don't really hear people say, I'm angry enough to die, right? Uh, but, you know, this is just showing us how much he's invested in his own comforts and his own area that, that the, 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 the two big S's here that I think about, pray about, ask for forgiveness about all the time are the issues of, of uh, self-centeredness and short-sightedness. Right? It's self-centeredness and short-sightedness. It's putting yourself on the throne, putting yourself in the middle of everything, and making it all about you, all about me, and then short-sightedness saying it's me and right now. It's what matters right now. I'm not thinking about the long picture, the long view, the end game. I'm really thinking about my own comfort right at this moment. And when we focus on those issues and those issues alone, you're, we're going to find heartache and frustration and be angry enough to die when it doesn't go our way. So we can see how Jonah's uh, situation is unfolding, and, and, and maybe, unfortunately, we can identify with Jonah about a lot of those things. But God is going to challenge his misplaced priorities in verses 10 and 11. And so in, in, um, in these, this, this verses, we're going to focus on God's compassionate care that unfolds. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. <laughs> think about, you know, think about what's your relationship with this plant? You have not invested in this plant. You know, you got up one day, it's there. You get up the next day, it's not there. And now you're all worked up over that. You know, your priorities are not right. But yet you care about this. So if you care about something that you have not invested in, isn't it better for me to care about something that I do have an investment in? He says, may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right, their left, and their left, as well as many animals? He's giving that perspective about, you know, who are these people? The 120,000 uh, it's been discussed for a long time about what, how many people were there actually in Nineveh. Uh, when it has this phrase that they don't know their right hand from their left, uh, used to be thought of saying, well, these are children, right? Infants, young children, they don't know right from left yet, you know? Uh, so that's 120,000, and so, so they ended up estimating 600,000 to a million people were in the city of Nineveh. That's become the ancient, the older commentaries talk about that. More recently, though, as a result of archaeology and the studying the history of Assyria, it does appear that the city of Nineveh, at its, at its height, uh, had a population of about 160,000, 170,000 people, uh, which is a little bit later than this time. So, so more than likely, it is actually 120,000 people. That doesn't matter whether it's one or a million. People matter to God, right? People matter to God. And the issue was the, these 120,000 people, yeah, they were Ninevites. They were not part of the, the chosen people of Israel, but they were still people who were created in the image and likeness of God, who bore his image and likeness. They were still people that he cared about. And so when it says 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left, that little phrase right from left is maybe more talking about their spiritual condition. Uh, not so much whether they can tell left from right. And the New Living Translation, for example, captures that idea when it says, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. 
not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I care for such a city? So if we're looking at don't know they're left from their right, they're in spiritual darkness, they don't really have a good moral compass. Uh, but I still care about them because they're still people that I have created. And we think about God's compassionate care for people in spiritual darkness, we can't help but say, that's a really good thing. That's where we all started, right? That's where we all started. Uh, we all came into this world stained by sin, separated from God, deserving of, of eternal punishment and separation from the goodness of God in, in hell. And so often we didn't even realize the condition that we were in. But to escape that, we need to respond like the Ninevites did. We need to respond in repentance and faith. And today we know that in, in old times, God was able to look past or forgive sin on the basis of the, the coming sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Today we look back and realize that God has done something about it when he sent his son to be our savior, when he appointed someone that would come and would go to the cross to pay for our sins. And that's what Jesus Christ has done. This is the beginning of Holy Week in the church, right? It's Palm Sunday. We don't have a Palm Sunday reference here at all, but uh, we can pretend there was a palm tree that grew up over Jonah. Okay, I decided. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, you know, Palm Sunday is the day that we, they, they commemorate the triumphal entry of Jesus into, into uh, Jerusalem, uh, although it wasn't all that triumphant because within a week he would be crucified. He would, he would die. Uh, but why was all this unfolding? It was all unfolding because of the fact that God had a plan to provide a way of salvation for us, that Jesus willingly of his own accord came to this earth, bore the punishment for our sin, and then rose again from the dead on Easter Sunday. Next Sunday we celebrate that. And we are called today to escape that spiritual darkness that we're all born in through repentance and faith in the one who died and rose for us. And my challenge to you as you're listening today uh, uh, is, is have you come to that spot? Are you in that place in your life right now? Perhaps you haven't. You're still investigating Christianity, trying to get to know a little bit more about this God that we talk about, about this Jesus. And, but maybe now is the time when, when your, your, your eyes are being opened to the fact that, you know, you deserve the, the, what the Ninevites deserved, right? You would have deserved that, that punishment. But just as they were able to escape that through repentance and faith, you can escape that through repentance and faith today. So don't let your, your life continue in that spiritual darkness. Get to know the Lord. Come to him. And you can have salvation in his name. But for those of us who are in Christ, we need to be challenged again with that whole issue. What, what gripes your soul, right? What really bothers you? What disturbs you out there? Is it primarily the minor relatively minor inconveniences of life? Or are you shaken to the very core of your being by the condition of people in this lost world around us? Are we more like Jonah? in our self-centered short-sightedness or more like the Lord who sees people in spiritual darkness and longs for them to be free. I think of a good example of uh, someone who was not like Jonah. Uh, Dale Oxley was a a young man um, growing up during World War II. Uh, As soon as he he got old enough, he, he enlisted in the Marines and he was sent to the uh, Pacific Theater, and uh, he was there in the Pacific when uh, the bombs were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And part of his responsibility afterwards was to go back into those cities, into, those, into, into Japan, and be part of the, you know, the process of, of bringing things back along the way. 
And he testified that when he went in there and saw the conditions of things, and if you've watched any of the videos and saw, you know, what happens to, to those cities and to Japan as a whole, um, it's very devastating. And there's a part of you and a part of people, I'm sure, at that time that, thank, that thought, well, that's good. They just got what they deserved, right? They got what they deserved for their attacks against us and for their attempt to take over the world. But he didn't see it that way. He saw them as people who were greatly in need, who were broken. And as a result, he returned home after that time and, and went to Wheaton uh, College at the time, Wheaton University. And uh, there he met his wife, Betty. And, and uh, after graduating, they went back to Japan as missionaries and spent the next 50 years serving in Japan. Uh, they started five churches and a Bible camp. And their heart, their life, everything about Dale and Betty was Japan. Uh, so much so that um, when they would come home, uh, they were part of our fellowship of churches at the, the time. And, you know, when they, were, they were so entrenched in Japanese lifestyle that he said when he came, to a, when he came home on furloughs, he would have to translate from Japanese to English in his head because <laughs> he thought in Japanese first, you know. I remember one case where there was a Q&A going on and somebody asked him a question. He started answering the question in Japanese. And it took a few minutes for, us to, for him to realize, for us to go, hey, wait, what's he saying? <laughs> Can you stop and go back in English? He goes, oh, that's right. I have to think in English. I think in Japanese. That's what he was. Dale was about, I don't know, about six foot four, much bigger than I was. He really stood out in Japan. <laughs> uh, he was a bit of an enigma, this big white American guy in the midst of a Japanese people that were much smaller and then thinner than him and everything. But I always look back and say, you know what moved him, you know? When he saw that devastation there, he recognized that the people who were wiped out by that and people who were going to continue in that, that practice at the time, they were emperor worshipers, they were far from God. And what was their destiny? He said, we need to, I need to change that destiny. I need to reach out to them. We need to, to win them for Jesus Christ. He established a good, long-lasting legacy that he was there until he could no longer be there physically with an illness and, and uh, went to be with the Lord um, a few years back now. But I think of Dale as being just the, the, the uh, complete opposite of Jonah, <laughs> uh, where Jonah looked at a city and wanted to see destruction heaped upon them because he saw them as his enemies. Dale looked at, at a, a, a people and said, these people have suffered great destruction, but the Lord loves them and cares for them, and he, needs, he wants them. He wants them to be part of his family. And so he made that difference. And where are we in that process? His heart was much more like God with care and compassion for the lost. I take you back to that thought earlier about the people that we come in contact with, the people we see in the world around us that, that we would label as enemies of God, as enemies of our faith, uh, and what is our attitude toward them? Are we angry? Are we mad? Do we want to see them get their punishment? Or are we brokenhearted for the fact that ultimately they don't know their left hand from their right? They really don't know any better. They don't know any different because they don't have the Lord. And so we need to make sure that it's our efforts to go and do whatever we can to reach them, whether it be family members or friends or neighbors or coworkers, whether it be somebody that's across the street or across the sea, you know, we need to have a passion for doing that. And how do we develop that? Well, we have to see people the way God sees them, right? We really need to see people the way God sees them. And our hope and my hope and prayer today is that we'll, you know, for myself as well as for all of us, is that we'll We'll begin to look at the world around us differently because of that. Now, we do have an opportunity um, to kind of put some of that into practice for ourselves. Um, the, um, 
Not everybody's called to go to Japan for 50 years, right? Um, some of you may be, but some of you may not be. Uh, but, but that's okay. We're all called to do something and make some, some difference. And, and as you know, we just had this opportunity that came up pretty quickly, uh, was delayed, and then finally happened to, to, to send this team over to uh, Southeast Asia. Uh, and there were often times when things come around for people that are within our church to go and, and do something on the mission field or go do some, some kind of mission work or service and uh, be able to uh, find uh, um, support and, uh, for all that. So one of the things that we are, are launching this month, and maybe you saw it on, the, uh, on our Facebook post page, is uh, we call it the 30-20-10. I think 10-20-30 is a better, better name, but 30-20-10. The idea is this. Um, in order for us to be well-positioned, that when something comes along, we can help somebody go out and, and reach out to those people that are lost, uh, is to establish a, a fund that we call the Living Scent Fund, right? You know, we end our services by encouraging you to live scent and change the world, right? So Living Scent is, a, uh, is, is going to be a fund that's set up so that when things come along and people have an opportunity, we can draw from those funds to make a difference there. And the challenge is this. Why is 30, 20, 10, um, or 10, 20, 30? Is on the 10th of the month, which is, what's today? The 10th, right? On the 10th day of the month, of every month, right? To... If you're able, go online or come to church and make a $20 donation to the Living Scent Fund. If you're able to do that, $20 once a month. Uh, and then the 30 is, and spend 30 minutes in prayer for missions, for world missions. Tenth day of the month, $20 gift, 30 minutes in prayer. And what I've always found is that, you know, wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. <laughs> And quite often when people invest, even if it's $20 a month and 30 minutes a month in prayer for missions, it starts to stir up different things inside of you to become an answer to some of those prayers as well. So the thought of doing anything like that might be far from your mind right now, but this is a simple little thing that you can begin to do. And not everybody can necessarily do that, but you can begin to do. So you can start shifting. If you're looking at your saying and say, man, I am, I am really... Way too self-centered and short-sighted. <laughs> I need to be much more like God and filled with caring compassion for others. You know, a way you can put that into practice is even to begin today by this 10th day of April. Give $20 if you're able. And spend 30 minutes sometime today praying for missions. If you check our, the Facebook page, it might be on the Instagram page as well. Uh, there, there's some, some links to things you can do to say, how am I going to spend 30 minutes in prayer for missions? Well, you know, it, 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 it'll come. You know, you can, you can do that. Uh, you might build up to it. But praying for missions, praying for missionaries, you know, praying for the world around us, uh, praying for what God can be doing, whether it's local, as, far, as close as Winget, or, uh, you know, across in the, the Ukraine or Southeast Asia or anywhere else that you might know missionaries, praying for those things. And that will bring us all together. That will bring it all around for us uh, to be able to have a heart that's much more like Jonah's more, more like God's and not so much like Jonah's. Much more like God's and not so much like Jonah's. So, as we started, we said Jonah, you know, probably the best known of all the Old Testament prophet books, right? Everybody grew up hearing about Jonah and the whale, the big fish, and, and all that. But as you can see, there's so much more to it than just the guy got swallowed by a fish and then did the right thing. Uh, and trust that we will continue to draw from, from, from Jonah and allow it to speak to us. And most importantly, to stop and say, where are you? Are you more like uh, the Ninevites, still lost in your sin? <laughs> still lost in, in darkness? Uh, if that's the case, don't leave today without talking to somebody about that. 
without reaching out to the Lord and finding your salvation in him. And for those of us who are in Christ, you know, let's make sure that we have the caring compassion for the lost people around us. Don't get mad, get sad, get burdened, and let that shape how we conduct our lives, at least on the 10th day of every month going forward. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity to uh, gather together in this time of worship today. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that we are um, able to read your word and read stories like that of of Jonah, um, those ancient days, um, real stories, true stories that not only reveal um, something you were doing and wanted to work in the world at that time, but also establishes things for us to, to learn from and to grow from and apply in our lives. And so my prayer goes out today again, Lord, first of all for myself, because I confess, Lord, I am very self-centered and short-sighted when it comes to these things. As time goes by, I get very jaded and very frustrated and angry with the condition of the world around us and not long for their salvation, not long for their repentance and turning to you. And, and so, Lord, I ask you to forgive me for that and... Others, Lord, that are, are in here that would say the same thing, Lord, may you be gracious in our lives and, and forgive us and turn us around. Help us, Lord, to, to think about the Dale Oxleys of this world that you have raised up, <laughs> to go out and make a, a, a difference, make that kind of investment. And maybe some among us here would make that step, Lord. May you work that in hearts and lives as you see fit. But even if it's on, uh, in small steps and small ways, Lord, help us to begin to, to, to govern ourselves putting on the caring, compassionate heart of God, seeing people as you see them, longing to see them come to know you and your truth. And so, Lord, apply this to our hearts and our lives as we close in worship of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.